Uh, how's everybody today? Good, good. So, going to do a quick informal survey. Raise your hand if you're cold right now. Is anybody cold? All right. A couple of children. I don't care about children's coldness. They need to be tougher. Um, one or two other people. I do care about you. Uh, I'm just kidding, children. I do care that you're cold, but I just value your toughness more. Um, so I want to start off just by saying thank you to the Sunday school teachers, especially the Sunday school teachers for our children. Uh, this was our first Sunday of Sunday school. And yeah, this was an exceptionally weird year uh, for Sunday school. So thank you for all the effort and all the work that they put in. And also um, everybody, the security folks that were in parking team that were getting everybody coordinated for drop off and everything. Thank you to those folks as well. So we are going to start a new sermon series today, and I was thinking about this sermon series a couple of weeks ago as I was driving home from church. I had my boys with me in our car and was going to the grocery store, and one of my boys began talking about the type of house they want when they grow up. This is a periodic topic of conversation in the Fugate household. Now, if I was an architect trying to design the house that was being described, it would be about 6,000 square feet, be on the lake or maybe on the ocean, with a pool, of course. Also, it would be close to the center of a town like Newburyport. It would need to have a big enough garage for a couple of cars. Also, I mean, you need a truck just in case. Space for a boat. But then I thought about it, and I remembered the boat would actually be down at the dock because the house is on the water. Don't forget. But you would still need some extra garage space for some sort of adult toy, maybe a snowmobile or a four-wheeler, something like that. Because I've had this conversation about future housing options with my kids before they make sure to qualify their desires by saying they don't want to be really rich, just kind of rich. While I chuckle at the desires my kids express, I'm actually not much different. When Ann and I talk about our dream home, we say we don't want it to be huge. Then we start to talk about what we want it to include. We need a guest bedroom, obviously, a den, a dining room, maybe a home office. The next thing you know, we have described a huge house. And this is indicative of the way people think about money in general. We normally don't say, I want to be rich. Instead, we just say, I want a little more of this and a little more of that. We think money will solve our problems. We equate wealth with a satisfying life. Today, we are going to start a new sermon series focused on money. Money is incredibly important, not just because we want it, 
but because our relationship with money impacts our relationship with God. The Bible has a lot to say about money. Jesus talked about money frequently. I want to give a quick disclaimer here. The focus of this series is not going to be on the financial needs of this church. God is very gracious. This congregation is very generous. The reason we are doing this sermon series is not that the church needs more money. So if you're thinking you can just tune out because that's the reasoning behind the sermon series, you can't just tune out. You still have to listen. The reason for our focus is that there is a common proclivity in humans to look to money for what can only be found through a relationship with God. Our text to kick off this series can be found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can turn there with me now. We will begin in verse 12 and read, I'm, I'm sorry, begin in verse 6 and read to verse 12. We will then skip forward to verse 17 of the same chapter and finish up in verse 19. Please begin reading with me in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. If you don't have your Bibles with you, there is a print-off of those verses included in the bulletin. Hear the word of the Lord. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made good confession in the presence of many witnesses. As for the rich in the present age, this is verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The course of every individual life will be determined by love. What we love decides how we spend our days. And there are many things available for us to love in this world. We can love a person, success, or even a sports team. When our hearts love 
anything above God, problems result. One of the most common things people love above God is money. Money is a particularly common thing to love. It is also an exceptionally dangerous thing to love. Actually, danger isn't even the right word. Danger implies risk. A dangerous situation might end well, or it might end poorly. Love of money is guaranteed to end it ends in pain and death, whereas love of God results in true life. The Christian must flee from love of money and set their heart on God to experience righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. If you want to enjoy the life you are made for, don't seek it in money. Seek it in God. Hunger for money is problematic. This is almost so obvious, it doesn't need to be said. We all know stories of people who have seen the desire for more wealth lead to ruin. I recently listened to an interview with Reed Hastings, the founder of Netflix. His current net worth is estimated by Forbes to be $5 billion. Although on the day I checked, he was actually down an estimated $15 million due to a fluctuation in the stock market. Hastings pointed out in the interview that his focus on money had almost cost him his marriage years before. He knows what money can buy. And from personal experience, he knows it cannot buy happiness. Hastings is wise enough to know what Paul said in these verses is true. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Greed and its results are central plots to many famous TV shows and movies. In Breaking Bad, Walter White is undone by it. Some of you may remember the primetime soap opera Dallas. That show had enough material for 14 seasons because JR was always hungering to make another dollar. The 1967 film, Bonnie and Clyde, with Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, doesn't end well for the protagonists that are driven by greed to rob banks. My favorite movie memory about greed is actually the lawyer in Jurassic Park, and greed doesn't end any better for him. I'm not sure if it is better to be like Bonnie and Clyde getting shot to death in a car or the lawyer in Jurassic Park getting eaten by a T-Rex. The stories of how hunger for money impacts people's lives 
are not just viewed on screen. Most everyone here has seen love of money play out negatively in their own personal life or in the life of someone they care about. I have mentioned before that my own parents almost got a divorce when I was in elementary school over finance. The desire for more almost bankrupted them. The pursuit of the perfect middle-class life led to bad decisions. I am very aware of my own tendency to obsess over money. A lot of times when I talk to people about my sermons, I will point out that I'm always preaching to myself first, meaning I'm always trying to apply what the scripture has to say to my own personal life. And in this case, I really need to hear what the Bible has to say. I know preaching on money will make me have to evaluate my own thoughts and actions on the subject. We all know obsessing over money is not healthy, yet we still need to be reminded of this fact. It just seems like my life would be better if my bank account were bigger. Now to a limited extent, this is true. Timothy recognizes that sufficient financial resources for survival are necessary. He says, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Food and clothing do require financial resources. Thankfully, most of the people hearing this sermon are not struggling to feed and clothe themselves. We want more money for a bigger house, a new car, or a more extravagant vacation. More than anything, we just want to be comfortable, secure, and powerful. We want to feel good about ourselves. Having nice things isn't inherently problematic. The problem is when we look to money to provide the contentment it cannot provide. The craving for more money will cause you to wonder what the faith and pierce you many times. The desire for wealth runs counter to the desire for God. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Loving one makes loving the other impossible. I really appreciate that Timothy describes what sometimes happens with Christians due to their attitude about money as wondering. People do not normally set off to make money the center of their life. It just sort of happens over time. The craving for it leads people down paths they never would have intended to follow. On those paths, they meet with disaster. 
for me, the image this brings to mind is of a bear that catches a scent and it follows that scent down different trails. It's not really thinking about the trails, it's just thinking about the scent that's following only to discover that a hunter has laid that scent and they put one of those metal traps with the jaws that close like that in the middle of the trail. And the next thing you know, the bear is trapped. Left to its own course, our desire for money will ensnare us. Christians should pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. This pursuit runs contrary to greed. There are many circumstances where the Bible states a both-and approach to some issue that people tend to think of as either-or. This is not one of those times. We are to flee the desire for money. You cannot pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness at the same time you obsess over money. This goes against how we are used to thinking. In American thought, money and righteousness tend to go hand in hand. We tend to use wealth as evidence that someone is living in the right way, that they are in fact righteous. The argument being made in these verses it's not that you can't be a Christian and have wealth at the same time. The point is, you can't seek God's kingdom and a worldly kingdom of gold at the same time. We are called to take hold of the eternal life to which we were called. We are not called to purchase for ourselves comfort and power in this world. God is more concerned with the status of our hearts and the status of our bank accounts. Some of the godliest people I know are very wealthy. They have personally experienced that wealth cannot satisfy and have turned to God. I have also seen people that do not have a dime to their name be convinced that if they just had a little money, it would solve all other problems. Most people that are obsessed with money are actually pretty good at acting like they are not. It's not my job to judge anybody else in this regard. My job is to inspect my own heart with the help of the Holy Spirit. You have the same job. When it comes to our lives, money is a useful tool for making some types of decisions. It helps us to assign value to different experiences. Money actually helps us to make comparisons more objectively in certain areas. Right now, I'm in the process of trying to buy a new car. My van that I'm currently driving sounds like what I imagine a World War I tank would sound like, probably after.
after it got sprayed with a machine gun? The cost of different vehicles I am looking at helps me to evaluate what I am willing to pay for and what I am not. What is 20,000 miles on the odometer worth to me? How many thousands of dollars is 20,000 miles equal to? How about a sunroof? Is that something I'm willing to pay for? The cost, the financial cost of the different vehicles helps me to make those evaluations. That's fine. Problems arise when money goes from being a tool for making certain decisions to being the deciding factor for our whole life. It can inform our decisions about material things. It cannot tell us how to live our lives in general. When we ask money to do so, we will find that it tyrannically devalues anything that cannot be bought, which includes love, the most valuable thing in life. The Bible is telling us to treasure things that are increased well-being. Being rich is actually a poor indicator of how satisfied a person is with their life. God wants us to recognize the value of what money can provide compared with what he can provide. Today's verses began with the statement, godliness with contentment is great gain. From God's perspective, all the things that money can get you in this world are of limited value. They mostly don't satisfy in the present. And they certainly don't last into eternity. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness are worth infinitely more than a fat bank account. These things have eternal value and bring contentment in the present. Those that have them experience true life. The remaining verses we are looking at today, 17 through 19, leave us with some extraordinarily practical advice for those who are rich. This is advice we should all listen to. I've said this before, but it is worth repeating. We may not think of ourselves as being rich. We are. If you are sitting here today, you are rich. And I don't just mean in like a, you have salvation if you're a Christian sort of way. I mean, you are actually rich in dollars and cents terms. Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates are rich. We're just, I'm just middle class, right? I'm just middle class. Middle-class America in 2020 is rich. Pretty much everyone here today or watching online is like Howard Hughes compared to the vast majority of humanity, both historically and those alive in the world today. The average American lives on 
and 55 cents daily. Whereas in 2015, 46% of the world's population lived on less than $5.50 daily. If you compare the current wealth modern people enjoy with the past, we're doing all right. While being rich, like most of us are, isn't wrong, it is a challenge. In this letter, Paul is writing to Timothy, who he left to pastor the church in Ephesus. And so he's writing to Timothy is pastoring this church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was the capital of the province of Asia during the Roman occupation, and it enjoyed significant prosperity due to its strategic location, banking, and commerce. Many of the people Timothy is trying to pastor are wealthy. What Paul imparts through Timothy to them is useful to us as well. We need to learn how to live in the circumstances we find ourselves in. You may not feel rich, but by pretty much every measurement of what it means to be rich, you are. We have to meet the challenge of wealth. As Christians, our call is to use money as a tool in the service of our primary commitment to God's kingdom. Paul advises the rich in the present age to not be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Over the coming weeks, we are going to explore this advice more deeply through a series of passages. Each of the thoughts and actions listed by Paul is a working out of what it means to pursue godliness while being rich. Money promises to bring many things comfort, security, status, and power. In this world, it can deliver on some of those promises. However, when we dedicate our lives to money, or what money promises to deliver, even when we get it, we will be disappointed. Often, this is true in the short term. It is always true in the long term. No amount of money can bring true contentment. Money is not the source of life. God alone is the source of life. Money sets us wandering on the path to death. It leads us into senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. God knows we need money to live. He also knows that money cannot ultimately provide life. God provides life. Every day, we are making decisions about what we will look to as our source of life. What we will love. Will it be God 
Or will it be money in the things of this world? The way we interact with money shows where we seek life from. If you want to enjoy the life that you were made for, don't seek it in money. Seek it in God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for the tremendous amount of financial blessings that we enjoy just as a baseline of being Americans. That most of us enjoy a level of wealth that is really unimaginable to people living around the world today, certainly in comparison to people historically. And we thank you that we are alive in this time and that we do get to enjoy these resources. But we also recognize that we have a tendency to let money consume our lives, to let it rule over us, to not use it as a tool, but to worship it as a God. I pray that all of us here today would repent of that. I pray that I would repent of that in my daily life, Lord. I pray that we would turn to you as our source of life, and that in you we would find true life. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.